Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network presents Success in Accounting. Sponsored by Dext. Rob Brown here, and before we officially start this week's Success in Accounting podcast, continuing with our Women in Accounting panels, a big shout out and thank you to our commercial sponsors for this show, My Work Papers. They are a powerful accounting solution designed especially for accountants. And by redesigning workflow, eliminating admin, and boosting productivity, they transform the way accountants work. And for you as an accounting professional, bookkeeper, CPA, it puts all of your clients' accounts in one place with instant work papers, automatic standardization, and critical reminders. And in short, it gives busy accountants and people like you endless ways to sort and stay on top of the tasks you need to serve your clients. And there's a special offer available until the end of December 2022 as a valued subscriber to our Success in Accounting podcast. New clients of My Work Papers can benefit from a 25% discount off your first year subscription. So find out how your practice could benefit from My Work Papers. Go to www.myworkpapers.com forward slash AIP dash offer. That's AIP for Accounting Influencers Podcast, AIP dash offer, and get your customized quote right now. That's myworkpapers.com forward slash AIP dash offer. Have a great day and enjoy the show. Welcome to another in our series of Women in Accounting Leadership Panels. I'm Rob Brown on behalf of the Accounting Influencers Podcast Network. This is our Success in Accounting show. This is our flagship show. We go out five times a week on every working day, and we're the only daily podcast in the world. We're doing a series with prominent and influential women leaders to talk about some of the key topics involved in leadership and culture and diversity. I'm thrilled to have with me today four fantastic guests that will introduce themselves in just a moment. This particular episode is sponsored by My Work Papers, and you'll hear a special message from them at some point. So let's start with our wonderful panel. Maureen, can I ask you to kick off, do a little introduction so everybody knows who you are and welcome. Yeah, hi, thank you. I'm Maureen Penfold. I'm managing partner of a firm in London called Moore Kingston Smith. Um, and I have about 700 people uh, that work for us, basically London and Southeast Centric. We're multidisciplinary, predominantly in, or originally accountants um, and auditors, but really across a number of different skill sets and service lines that you'd expect to the sort of firm of our size. And we're very much in the market, mid-market is what we would call it in the UK, um, in terms of we're about, you know, I think we're about number 12 at the latest listing, something like that. Got it. Thank you so much. Jackie Meyer, lovely to have you with us. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I'm Jackie Meyer. Um, you'll hear from Kat in a minute that she was top 50 women in a county, which I saw, and I aspire to be that someday. But for now, um, I am on CPA Practice Advisor 40 Under 40 for the past few years. It expires next year. Don't tell anybody. Uh, I just sold my concierge CPA firm of 12 years. It was only a dozen people, very unlike Maureen. Uh, so very opposite end of the spectrum there, but can definitely bring a smaller uh, business environment influence to the table. And now I fully focus on actually coaching uh, other accountants and uh, tax planning software for accountants called Tax Plan IQ. Kelly Mann, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm Kelly Mann. I am from Omaha, Nebraska. I have a very small CPA practice that specializes in 401k audits, and I have two employees in that business. I also have a software startup called Audit Miner. And we have grown from zero to 14 employees this year alone. 
Um, and I just lead them and we sell our software to CPAs across the United States. Kat, welcome, Ken. Welcome. Hey, um, so uh, this year is quite a special year for me because it is my 20th year in the accounting industry. Um, I spent the first 16 years working at Deloitte in a variety of different teams. Um, so might draw on some of those experiences to talk about um, some of those leadership styles I worked with. But I made the move over to Monaghan's where I am now about four years ago. Um, Monaghan's is a firm that's based in the southwest of England across um, seven offices. We've got uh, 11 partners, five directors and about 120 people, um, probably a bit similar to, to Maureen in terms of the service offerings, um, kind of broad, broad spectrum of services. But my responsibility is I lead the business services team of about 55 people and that team's responsible for delivering all the compliance work for our clients. Beautifully done. Thank you, everybody. And welcome. We really appreciate your time. We're looking at the topic of diversity, really, and leadership. You're strong female authoritative leaders in the accounting profession, as we call it in the UK. In the US, they tend to call it an accounting industry. So let's kick off. And Maureen, I'll start with you on this. Why are we talking about diversity? We didn't talk about it many, many years ago, but it's become a hot topic in the accounting fintech world, particularly. We know that there are more accountants out there that are females, but particularly in leadership worlds, women are significantly underrepresented in what, it's fair to say, has been a male-dominated environment over the years. So what for you makes diversity important? And why are we talking about things like this? Well, I think, I mean, if you look at any of the statistics, it, it really does say that, you know, if you have diverse organisations, they're successful. So I think there is a pretty much a business case, let alone a what's the right thing to do case um, in terms of that. And I think in terms of uh, sort of the general I think it, the diversity point for me goes well beyond just gender because I think it's actually um, about that complete mix of people coming together with thought diversity and I think by having the mix of gender which I know is a challenge and, and quite honestly it still is in London I was at a dinner last week where I was again once again the only female in about 30 people in a room um, a very much a grey sort of suited bunch and it, it, it almost is funny now because it's just not normal it doesn't feel like the real world it's almost counterintuitive to the world I live in which in our business is about 50 50 although I would still say um, in our firm you know we're really pretty good at the gender inclusivity and we're working hard at you know at ethnic and others because we do believe in that mixed thinking but we're still only I think it's about 27 percent at partnership level so clearly whilst I you know you've, we've got a female leader we're a pretty diverse place there is still a challenge but if you go outside into the city of London in particular and I'm sure it's the same I think across the US and everywhere else you know you still have got that predominance at the top and I, and I think some of it's an age thing if I'm honest I think it will get better I don't believe that the generation of people I'm talking to today the Gen Z's and the next generation of young people will allow this to continue <laughs> so I think we're getting pushed from the top bottom as well as um what we're trying to do to change but fundamentally a diverse group of people make better decisions and fundamentally you're more profitable so i think there's a strong business case for inclusion that's beautifully opened up you've set the scene so well there jackie we've got a well we've just passed on our queen we've got a king now but we've got a female prime minister you're yet to have a female president over there but yes <laughs> so you strike out there but diversity is it an issue for you or are you running your own firm you don't even think about it uh it's definitely an issue. Uh, when I was a staff member along the years, you know, working at Deloitte or whatnot as well. But from a leadership perspective, it's a big issue in regards to the statistics that Maureen mentioned. Um, we need diverse opinions to have a more successful company. Um, there's like 
specific statistics that um, EBITDA is 10% higher for companies that have diverse management teams. That's a huge change, right? And there's all kinds of things from Harvard Business Review and whatnot that, that support that. Um, it reminds me of one of my close friends. She was the senior to who ended up being her husband at PwC. And she ended up resigning um, to help take care, you know, to start a family and let him go on to the PwC partner role and track because that was his passion and his vision. And so I hope that, like Maureen said, as we get to the next generation, we see more equality, not equality, <laughs> that too, um, more equality with women being able to step up and take those leadership roles and men being able to be, you know, more of the home taker and that kind of thing, because my husband and I are much more equal, equally yoked when it comes to that. I also, on a sad note, brought up diversity and inclusion policies to this Facebook group I host for accountants called Accounting Firm Influencers. And I was attacked by a couple of people that said I was being like too woke, that no one needs diversity policies. And it really, I think, scared off any of the normal common sense people from even saying anything about it. And so we've made strides in this area, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Kelly, what do you feel about that? You're a strong voice. Yeah, you know, I look at more of the tactical. Why does it matter? You know, there's a theory, there's the numbers that are proven. But in my experience, so I was in public accounting um, for the first 13 years of my career. And a lot of that was in my childbearing year. And what I found is that the PTO I was given, one third of it, was used on my sick children, staying home with them because my my husband's a plumber and it's very hard for him to stay home. He's in a male dominated field also. A third of my time was used as vacation, true vacation. And the last third was used to save up for maternity leave so I could have a baby, take off time and still be paid. And so what I found was that as a female, I was actually getting less true vacation time than my male counterparts. And us women were getting burnt out because we were not able to recuperate and recover like our male counterparts would. And I think that if we had women up in the, the higher ranks making decisions over like PTO, for example, this would be brought to the forefront so other leaders could understand our difficulties. What is PTO, Kelly, real quick for our audience? So PTO is paid time off or vacation time or holiday, paid holiday time. It, there is a cost to be made, obviously, for becoming a leader. Uh, for women, it's giving up children or the childbearing responsibilities if you're going down that route. But all CEOs have to pay a price. And uh, we may come on to that when we talk about leadership style and culture. Kat, where do you sit on diversity as an important topic these days? Yeah, I mean, I think it is. And I think particularly for us um, in the accountancy industry, we're a service-based organization. We build relationships with our with our clients and we work really closely with them. And it's really important that we as an industry keep pace with what's happening more broadly because we're going to want to be able to have diverse teams and diverse thinking that can interact with our clients because they will have the same. Um, I think if we were going out and speaking to um, an up and coming startup that was like all female founded and we took a group of 40 year old grey men like you mentioned at that dinner last night Maureen I'm pretty confident we wouldn't win that piece of work whereas actually if we could bring a team that um where they could relate better to our clients then it will just help us be more successful when we talk about prejudice and diversity we're more woke now because we're more sensitive to diversity issues but there was a day when women couldn't play golf women couldn't vote 
women weren't allowed in the boardroom. Maureen's nodding because we're old enough, Maureen, to remember those days. Uh, but things are changed. We've become more sensitive. We've become more sensitive to any prejudice and any non-acceptance of who I am. So just to finish off these opening remarks, uh, is woke been good? Is this awareness that we've got right now, is it a good thing for our working environments and the profession we work in anymore? Absolutely. I think, I mean, awareness and understanding is critical because, um, you know, and because in order to change anything, people, it's got to be more than the people who feel, you know, you can't have just, you can't just have sort of women of my age going around, oh, it'd be better to improve gender diversity or other equality. You've got to have it coming at you from every angle. It's got to be real life. I mean, you can't go into an office or an environment to work that's different to the real world. It's bonkers. It doesn't make any sense. And I don't think it's woke. I just think it's about fundamentally doing the right thing. And I don't think that's woke. That's just the right Common thing. Sense. To yeah. Well, let's talk about your own careers. And uh, Kelly, let's start with you on this one. As you established yourself in the accounting profession, you didn't know you'd be doing your own software thing back then. So you embarked with good faith on a career that you think is going to serve you for life. You then started to hit walls and obstacles. You look for people like you as mentors and coaches and door openers and champions. You maybe get a sense, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, that you're having to work twice as hard as more entitled people. Uh, a lot of people I interview like that, even black accountants and minority professionals feel that way. So talk to us a little bit about your own career and any obstacles or pivot points along the way to the top for you. Yeah, you know, I don't, I honestly don't feel like I have had to work harder to get where I am. Um, I think I have had to work smarter. I have asked, had to ask for help more from people, especially with raising my children. Um, my husband has had to make probably more sacrifices than a female spouse might have to make. Um, but I don't, I don't consider them challenges. I don't think that I have had to work harder. Um, but one of the things, one of the obstacles was how I felt in public accounting. And so for the first 10 years of my career, I was always told, try not to be such a bull in a China shop. And that's because I had opinions and I would ask questions and I wasn't good with the status quo. I always thought something could be better. And so they would say, try not to be such a bull in a China shop. You know, you need to navigate politics in a CPA practice. And then I had this epiphany that I'm okay with being a bull, but I am not okay living in a China shop. And literally two days later, that is when I quit my job to start my own journey. And so I think for me, it was being a strong-headed female that doesn't do well in a position of subordination under a male. But once I got out of that, and those males were now my peers, they were my biggest cheerleaders, and they opened so many doors for me. And I am forever grateful for the men that I was networking with when I first started down this path, because they were they were incredible. You make an interesting point. I've heard this quite a few times about if women ask questions, they're seen as disruptive or divisive or rebellious where they're just seeking clarification or making the collective better. They want to be a force for good. But whereas if men ask questions, that's encouraged. And yeah. And, you know, when when you say about a female, she's a bull in a china shop, that can have a negative connotation. But when you say to a man about a man or maybe in a sales position, he's a bull in a china shop. That's a good thing. And it's the exact same term, but we can't both wear it. And that's not that's not really fair. Jackie, I had a podcast episode recently by Meghan Markle. We all know who she is. She started a podcast called Archetypes, and one of her first guests was Serena Williams. Now, they both grew up in the same area of Los Angeles. They are the same age, and they are friends. 
And she asked Serena Williams about the word ambition. And Serena Williams said, well, when I was growing up, obviously my father was very supportive, but to be ambitious as a female was looked down on. Whereas to be ambitious as a male, that was a, a very desirable trait. So talk to us a little bit about your career and any pivots or obstacles along the way that stand out for you. I agree. Uh, I think Kelly and I have very similar paths and maybe we need to become BFFs. But, um, <laughs> you know, I was thinking the same thing. You you don't realize at the time that you're being the bull in the china shop sometimes until something bad happens. Like I was actually fired from a smaller CPA firm I went to after Deloitte because I kept questioning the norms. Um, and I was standing up when, for other people when we weren't getting a raise when we should have and blah, blah, blah. And I thought it was like the low point in my life, but it ended up being such a blessing because it's what projected me to start my own CPA firm and have tremendous success through that. So, um, you know, you can always see the, the look back and hopefully see the rewards and some of those negative things that happen. Um, another aspect to this that I think about now is mentorship. And I never really truly had mentors in any of the work that I did. And it, looking back, I think it's because I was kind of butting heads with everybody all the time. Um, and I think that men also shy away from being mentors to women. I know that for a fact. Uh, I've heard, I'm in a community group that's mostly men right now. And just the other day they said, hey, I can't mentor this, this young girl. She's amazing. She's up and comer, but we can't be alone together because that could be like a, a problem. And I'm like, do not ever say that. You have to promote equality and you have to help this woman get to the next level in her career. So figure out how you're going to do that, buddy, because you are severely detrimental to her career if you're not going to mentor her. So that was really frustrating. Kat, I, I can't see you as demure and acquiescent and knowing your place <laughs> and staying quiet. So what was your career path like? Well, interestingly, much earlier on in my career, that's exactly what I was like. I'm I'm really quite you the wallflower. Well, I'm really quite introverted. I was one of those people where I had lots of thoughts and things to say, but they never came out of my mouth and they just stayed in there. And then someone else sitting next to me made this brilliant point that I'd been thinking about. And then I'm like, oh, why didn't I say that? Um, so earlier on in my career, I think I really struggled to find those role models um, within, within um, Deloitte where I was working at the time. And that's not to say that there weren't senior women there working, because there were, but all the senior women, although they were women, they were acting and behaving in ways that were very similar to the men so whilst there was I guess technically gender diversity because you have men and women they were thinking and acting and behaving in the same way so I it took me quite a while to figure out where my place was and how I could get there because I looked up and I thought well to get to where I want to be which is a partner I need to start acting like them and it took me quite a while to figure out how to act like them or how to change and then actually getting more confident in myself as to I shouldn't be changing. I should just be bringing certain features of my personality out more and learning those skills. So it, I definitely kind of bloomed, I think, later in my career when it came to all, all those sorts of things where I started to see more of those and got coached and supported um, on that. So, yeah, that's my story. We'll talk about leadership style in a moment. And 
the degree to which any of you feel you've had to defeminize your approach and masculinize the way you are to fit in. Uh, but Maureen, has your career been plain sailing and an open route to the top or have you had to fight every step of the way? Give us a feel for your path. To be fair, I have to say that I think it's been pretty, I've been pretty lucky and that it's been fairly uh, sail, fairly inclusive, even though I started my career in the 80s, which I can say um, to those of you not much younger, that was a very different environment. I think partly, probably, I mean, I was just reflecting as Kat, the cat was talking, but I think probably I was a bit masculine. I've got three brothers. I've grown up with boys. I, you know, I, I've been used to being in the battle with men. So it never, ever occurred to me to be demeanor to men or never occurred to me that somehow, you know, because I was always in there with the fight. But I do think I probably did emulate. I probably was acting a lot in a sort of quite a masculine way, but probably because I was a tomboy. <laughs> as opposed to because I was trying to be a, you know, and that was just, I'd grown up grown up in quite a male-dominated world. So I think that, um, but I suppose where it started, where, so there was that, but actually, and it was a very male world I was in, but actually I was lucky in that there wasn't really any, I never found that there wasn't anything I could do or barriers put in my place because I was a woman. But I would pick up on two things, that when you start to go in senior in your career, and I think one thing I did find difficult was, when you go out networking and you're a young woman, particularly when the days when I was young and single, and you start to network in groups of men, it's really difficult because the line between networking that's a business conversation and the bit where some men aren't used to women networking with them and somehow translate that to something else. And I did find myself quite often thinking, oh, hang on a minute, you know, you know, where you sort of be asked out for dinner or lunch and you think, well, it just feels like it's crossing that line. And I think we have to be very careful. And I still now, some of the young women coming through, they ask to discuss how they cope with networking. And I think it's because sometimes, particularly maybe older generation, uh, if I'm honest, I don't, hopefully again, but I'm sure it probably still is at every level. But I think that was one piece. The other sort of uh, piece is that I also, uh, my children are 28 and 24. So quite a long time ago, I was a partner when I had children and I did all the wrong things in that I hardly took time out or whatever. Um, but and I was lucky in that, um, you know, I was able to step out and step in. But my biggest issue, I think, of a barrier for women is in the end, we have children. OK, you know, that's a fact of life. And I think you have to be in an environment where you can be a mum when you're a mum and work when you're at work and have so much more support around you. And I think it's a shared thing. And one of the things we're debating at the moment is what to do about the whole family leave piece, because, you know, we're trying to improve our maternity position. But I actually thinking about it, if you really want, really want to get to equality, you have to increase the paternity because you need to encourage both sides to almost take equal time out, even if they're not in the same couple relationship, but at the same level so that we're all taking time out and time in, you know, and actually having those uh, pieces. Although, again, I think, you know, when I see the guys now, they are much more helping out on childcare, etc. So I, I have to say, I think I was quite lucky. It never really, if I'm honest, occurred to me about the whole sort of having to fight for equality until I came into a much more senior position and probably in the last 10 years where we've been talking about it um, and needing. And then I've realised actually that I was very lucky that not everybody around me had the same experience. Yeah. For those podcast listeners here that are not seeing the video it will be on youtube uh, but all of the ladies were nodding uh, as maureen was talking through that that 
the striking the balance between being business flirty and business friendly when you network and is very difficult for a woman because men uh, we're shallow and superficial i'm speaking on behalf of my species and we we interpret things very wrongly and we have all the wrong intentions and say all the wrong things and sometimes we're too we're too naive so i i take a hit for the team on that one absolutely just to finish that round off there on your own career role models some of you talked about men being the best advocates of what you do. Did you find any prejudice or saboteurs or people that were very proactive in blocking your route that you really had to go around or through or over the top of to get to where you are? Or was it just gender blind as you came through the ranks? Anybody? Oh, I would say this is terrible, but I don't know if other people had this experience. It's actually other women. Um that seemed to block my path. Is that a jealousy thing, Jackie, do you think? I don't know, because I was really low in the ranks compared to them, but it seemed like no matter what I tried or how much you know I wanted to succeed or be proactive with things, they would say I was doing it wrong or you know I'm getting in over my head or things like that. Um, so that was discouraging. Um, I think that... I don't, I don't know why that is. I think maybe there's a competitive factor there. I was thinking that maybe there's a sense that there are not many senior posts for women, so they've got to fight a little bit more to get them. The numbers are against them. I wonder if that's part of it. What I find is that the people who have done more than you, who've already been in your shoes, root you on and pull you along. But the people who have not done what you were trying to do, they try to pull you back to them. And because I associate with women more than men, that's just who I am. We see it more in women. But when I left a firm, there was a, a man in a position of authority and leadership that just flat out told a lie about me to the staff in the firm, trying to like shine me as a traitor. And that, that really hurt, really, really hurt. I had to go out in front of those staff. And I said, I did not say this. I did not do this. And I was in tears in front of them in a professional workplace. But you're on the defensive there, aren't you? You're on the back foot. And if it's out there in the public domain, that sullies your reputation, even if it's not true, because reputation is perception. Yeah. So they did try to take me down. Well, if you're good, they will try and do that. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> a measure of how effective you're being. Let's talk about leadership style here. And Kat, I'll come to you first on this one. You've had role models, you've books that you've read, podcasts you've listened to, people that you've admired. Talk to us about how your leadership style is developed and how maybe you describe your style. I think for me, the number one um kind of characteristic is is authenticity um i think that that's probably come about from those experiences and realizing that actually i'm at my best when i'm being true to me and not pretending to to be someone else obviously you can flex but it's got to be true to you and i think i've also experienced that where i've had worked for people um been led by people and you can tell that they are acting they're pretending they're trying to play a role and it just it always just kind of rubs it just doesn't work quite right um and I think under that authenticity banner one of the key things for me is that as a leader you don't have to know all the answers to everything um, and actually you should rely on your team and your team should help you answer those questions and solve the problems and that is the making of a, of a good leader um and it's kind of showing that vulnerability of not knowing everything. I think that that's really important as well. So for me, those are the, the two kind of key things that I think summarise my style, hopefully. Um, and yeah, are, are really important. And more, and this has been more written about leadership than probably anything else in business. There's a couple of schools of thought that say women 
tend to lead differently to men. Men are more testosterone driven and power driven in their approach and things need to get done. Women are more collegiate and collaborative and and relationship based in their approach. Uh, what's been the features of your leadership style? I think it's probably evolved over time. I think there's when I was younger, there was the acting up and what you thought you needed to be and not quite confident enough for those vulnerabilities and authenticity, as Kat said. And I think, and actually sometimes uh, managing men who are in those other zones, they're a lot easier when you can see it because, you know, it's sort of that playing up. So I would absolutely wholeheartedly agree with the authenticity point because actually true equality and inclusion is about everybody being able to bring themselves to work and be themselves, whether it's their hair or how they talk or what level they're at or what they are. And I think that unless you are absolutely yourself um, in, you know, obviously you have to flex that, as you say, depending on what you're doing, then I think that you One, to be honest, work would be pretty tough if you've got to be somebody else. And I don't want to be somebody else. I'm quite happy in my shoes. And I think that empowers people around you to be true to themselves and the vulnerability. And all I would say is really um, the biggest thing I've learned is you need to listen to others. Of course, that vulnerability speaks to being a leader that admits they don't have all the answers. There are some things they haven't got right. They can say sorry and they're okay making mistakes and they will forgive others as they want to be forgiven themselves because we're not all perfect, are we? And I think COVID probably brought that to a home from where I sit, where the intensity of managing a firm in, in, in a scary time and everybody turning to you for the answers and you think, well, to be honest, I only know what I saw on the news last night as well. <laughs> and I'm having to give broadcast after broadcast after broadcast about where we are. But I think it, but it was always saying, well, as of today, this, but tomorrow it might be different. But it's somehow that really sort of brought it home that actually it doesn't matter as long as you're doing your best. Really, you've got to get some things right or you won't be here for long. But um, I think it is that is really the most important part. That's a great point. And Jackie, I'll come to you next. During COVID, best practice went out of the window because what used to work no longer worked. And we can't even plan for 90, 180 days. We're planning for the next day and the next week and we're pivoting on a dime. And it's really difficult as a leader to get that right. Talk to us a little bit about your leadership style. Well, the more I became a leader, the more I realized I was terrible at it. I guess that happens in a a lot of different ways. Like yesterday, I was just thinking, wow, I'm really bad at this. The more you know, the more you don't know, right? Yeah. (laughs) So I decided, to actually pursue a doctorate in leadership, which I'm two years into, uh, to really try to wrap my head around what does make a good leader. How can we turn all these theories into, you know, action actionable items? Um, and it's been really, really interesting. I'm writing a thesis on love leadership right now and how we need to incorporate love in with our colleagues in the workplace, not romantic love, obviously, but caring for one another, building trust and influence and honesty and that kind of thing without it being gross. Um, but this was interesting. I wrote an article for Forbes during COVID uh, analyzing how women leaders, government leaders, especially in Europe, I felt handled the crisis very, very well, exceptionally well over some of their male peers. Uh, and so that was a really, really interesting analysis with the differences between the you know female leadership style and whatnot and what seems to have been working. Mm, I'm just thinking of exhibit A, the book what I wrote, Build Your Reputation, which is by Wiley, it's on Amazon. Uh, one of the points I made in it was about authenticity. And 
I describe reputation as an onion and on the inside is like three circles. The inner one was your character, your values, your principles, the things that you really stand for and stand on. The circle outside that one is your personal brand, which is all the outward manifestations of what's on the inside. So that's the way you look, the way you walk, the, the car you drive, your LinkedIn profile, all those ways in which what's on the inside comes out and starts to get seen by the outside world. Once they see that, then it forms your reputation, which is their perceptions. That's everything they think and do and feel and say whenever they come into contact with any of those personal brand messages, the things that you write, the meetings that you conduct and the way you speak and all of that stuff. And it's very much in the perceptions of people, which is then looked at through their own lens and their own prejudices and their own backgrounds and their own cultures. And it, it's why leadership is such a, a complex thing. Kelly, tell us a little bit about your leadership style and approach. Very authentic. Um, and also very vulnerable. So all of the executives or the key leadership team members within Audit Miner have never held the position they're holding, including me. I've never been CEO before. We've all been in like a position underneath. And so I let them know that we're all in the same boat. We are all experiencing this position for the very first time. And I love it because we're all very hungry and we all want it. And it just makes such a, a very cool, um, we all share the same vision. But one of the things I'm very intentional about is being vulnerable. So I am also a cancer patient. So during COVID, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I don't shy away from the appointments that I have. And when I'm having a bad day, or I'm just experiencing some, some anxiety from a scan, and I'm just not in the right headspace. And I let my team know that because I want them to feel like they can speak up and take the time that they need also. And so I'm very authentic and I'm extremely vulnerable and transparent with my team. It's wonderful to hear that. I'm a stroke survivor. I had a hemorrhage some years ago and I now have epilepsy and I'm not allowed to drive because I've lost some vision. Now, I'm not scared of talking about that, but in the interest of authenticity and transparency, this is it's more allowed to say those things these days. It, we, we talk about compassionate leaders. It's a very important term these days to describe how leaders have become less hard-nosed and more compassionate and relational. And it's fair to say women are much, much better at that than men are. So just to finish off that leadership style, any final remarks there about the way leadership is changing and a softer, more inclusive approach is more effective? I think your comment about compassion just there sort of resonates with me, really, because I think it's it, and sometimes I think it is, sometimes it is that difference between men and women, that female maternal that we have, or whether we have children or don't have children, that sort of understanding the whole and the sort of family. And I, and I love the idea of um, leadership with love, actually, Jackie. I think that sounds um, a really good theme. But we always talk about fun and, and, I, and having, enjoying what you do. And I think that you have to be in an environment that is safe, whether that's about your well-being or your family or the fact that something's happened to the children in the morning whatever it is you've got to be able to be safe and open about things and I and I just go back to really that it's about just being able to be yourself and actually be real um, and then that enables people around you and I think the old hierarchical system that was I think kept a lot of those men at the top with those glass ceilings where it was command and control and there was a bit sort of doffed your hat to somebody just because they were in a higher position. One of the things that has been quite exciting about the changes through COVID and everything that we've seen anyway here is it's just smashed all of that. Hierarchy's gone out the window. Everyone has to deserve their position just by what they do and how they contribute. So. I also think that social media has a big thing to play in here because back in the 80s and 90s, people could be one way at work and then go back home and be their authentic self. We can't do that anymore because we always have social media and we always either have to fake it 
which is exhausting. And instead, I think people realize it and they're like, I'm just going to be myself 24 seven because I can no longer hide. And I think also COVID has just blurred those boundaries. So like we were talking before with a lot of us are doing these calls from home. People see into our houses more. We can't be those two different people. And um, you have to think about that person as a whole and everything that they've got going on in their life to make sure that when they come to work, they are able to deliver the best that they can. It's not just you can't compartmentalize things anymore. And that's why you need to be compassionate because there are so many other things going on that do impact your work. And if you can manage that well, you can get the most out of your team. Jackie, you're going to add something there. Oh, I really liked what Kelly said about being vulnerable, which is you're always dancing on that every day. Like how much do I share? How much do I don't share? But it kind of comes back to what they say about children if you're coming you know home for the day or coming into work for the day your team or children are going to sense that rage or sadness or whatever's going on that may have nothing to do with them but they automatically think it does and so i think it's important to be honest and truthful about like this has nothing to do with you i'm so sorry something else happened let's refocus i know i'm being kind of curt today and you know just get it out there boring you're in a daycare for 700 children basically so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Talk to us about culture, Maureen, and how you set culture, particularly with such a, a diverse workplace and, and hybrid remote. How does that work out? It's, it's a challenge, really. But I think, but I actually, I think some of the things we've been talking about, leadership and style and um, that sort of openness, I think, is what creates culture, really. I do think, you know, the hybrid world makes that difficult, but you have to, because you have to get people together to communicate. Um, yes, we've got all the words and things that we put out about purpose and vision and value, but ultimately, and it's how, whatever technical things we do or whatever service we're delivering, it's what it's like to work with each other and here. And I think that's the winning piece of culture is, you know, that if all of these things we've been talking about for me is culture, really, it's about what's it like to work here? Are these people real? Can I actually be my best self and can I succeed? And can is it an environment that is empowering me to continue and develop as a person to be the best I can be? And that is sort of not the right words, but actually is, I think, really culture and trying to get that now into this new hybrid world, which is part online, part in the office, trying to get people together. We were a pretty social lot, you know, so there was quite a lot of socialising and and anyone who knows London, that means a lot of pubs and things like that. And trying to do that when people are all in a mixed place and trying to find replacements for that. But you cannot beat, you know, that connection to build culture. And I don't, it's, I don't know how anyone does it in a completely remote business, but I'm sure you can. It's just, I'm a bit more in the the connections case to be able to do that. Of course. And, uh, inclusivity is hard when it's remote but that desire for people to stay connected and stay part of the bigger picture and know that they're belonging to something almost as a family that's really important more yeah. isn't it and i think yeah i mean one of the things that um you know it, bizarrely i mean i communication piece that we developed through covid which was actually using video which i think has been something to be honest we never did any of this we didn't you know we we so shall we turn the video facility on as we went home on march 2020 or yes we better do and we had no idea that it was going to be a new world um but what it has enabled you to do is to communicate with everybody equally whether they're at home or in an office or wherever they are so that sort of communication level and I think what Kat said about even our clients what I would say about them is it's been so funny because even the most pompous sort of stuffy person when they're at home in their kitchen and their dog turns up or their children turn up you see that real person they can no longer be that stuffy person anymore 
because you've actually seen really into the depths of their lives. So I think it's helped build culture with our clients really as well. Yeah. And Kelly, you're probably the most tech savvy out of all of us, given your foray into software. But we do wonder, don't we, what would have happened if COVID had have occurred in the 1980s when there was no video, there was no internet, there was no direct messaging and anything like that. But uh, talk to us about how you set culture, Kelly, and, and keep it diverse and inclusive. Yeah, I don't I don't think you can set culture. I don't think there's anything I can intentionally do to set culture. It just it's reflective of the values of your team members and how you interact. And so we actually just did a values assessment of our entire team. And it's really cool because the top two values for every individual team member were honesty and kindness. And I think that just shows the culture within Audit Miner because those are the people that are drawn to me. Um, I have yet to look at a resume for anybody that I've hired, right or wrong. I trust my gut because I'm more interested in the values of that person and how they show up and know that they can acquire the skill set needed, but they can't acquire those values. Um, and I think that's why the audit minor team is so successful because we're all hungry. We all share the similar values naturally. And that is building this culture of kindness and honesty and love. Um, and we also utilize technology. So we use Microsoft Teams. And instead of emailing each other or messaging each other we have an open door policy to where we just hit the the video button and we have video calls all the time um sometimes that gets heavy and we just don't want to do video and we'll turn our video off if you've been in all, all day like we respect that but for the most part we all want to see each other's faces and, and laugh and and have those conversations and so my team is around the country and i'm so excited because everybody is flying into omaha next week and so we'll all get to meet each other in person and it just warms my heart to see how excited all the other team members are to come to Omaha and see each other in person because they've developed these relationships remotely, very authentically. Well, getting a job at Audit Minor without showing your CV sounds great to me, your resume. I used to be a high school math teacher and that always throws a spanner in the works when I've been to interviews because what does that really allow you to do? Uh, but fascinating stories here. Kat, talk to us about culture in Monaghan's and you're going to be starting your own firm soon. So you have a chance to have a blank slate, don't you, in setting this? Yeah, I, I I agree with Kelly's point, actually, that you don't really set culture. It's it's a sum of all the people that are within your organisation and you can mould that by getting the right people in the right places. Um, but you can't kind of set the culture because otherwise you're just coming up with a list of words and saying some stuff. And then it doesn't follow through um, and then it all falls down. So for me, I think if you're responsible for that kind of culture piece, it's about getting being collaborative, getting everyone to kind of come together and share their their views and their values. And then you you kind of come up with a something, a framework, whatever it is. And then it's your job as, as a leader to, I guess, continue to reiterate that message so that when new people come in, hopefully they're the right fit. Or if they're not the right fit, then you can can manage that situation. And it's about empowering, well, you and then empowering the team to hold everyone accountable to make sure that those values always are, are coming through. Um, because I think for me, what came out from COVID when you were looking at different businesses and how they were performing, those that had that really strong culture seemed to thrive. And I think it was almost easier to lead those businesses through that difficult time because you had that strong culture and everyone was pulling in the same direction and had the same set of values. Those businesses that, that struggled more were the ones that that didn't have that that consistent culture. It was just, it'd gone through an exercise and, and stuck some words up on the wall. And obviously that wasn't borne out in what everyone did um, 
and it yeah was was uh, meant that things were much less successful for them so um yeah I think it's a really important piece but not something that you can directly just put in there and many leaders I speak to talk about the tension between setting the example of the culture that they want and the kind of person they want their people to be but also not demonstrating that too much because they want people to be themselves and not a clone of that leader and not copying what those leaders do so uh, that's a little bit of tension Jackie how are you setting culture where you are well it's kind of a combination of everything that uh, everyone has said so far um I think there is something to actually setting expectations up front very clearly you know from the in the very first job post to the interview, you know, this is how we operate. These are our core values, but it is based on the team collaborating around those and like kindness and honesty are two of ours as well. It sounds so like high level, but we do the EOS system, entrepreneur operating system. And every quarter you actually measure those core values and they're either doing them eh, or not. And if someone is like not able to be kind, that's literally like a breaking point at our company. Like that is a minimum standard. No matter how you're going to be kind, you can be whatever kind of personality you want to be kind, but you got to be kind to work here because we're not going to deal with people that are bullied. And so it's important to, I think, reinforce those standards that the team has come up with together. And back in the day, being a leader, to transmit culture and set it from above, you had to walk the corridors and get into people's offices and walk around. These days you can do it from an office and everything's on and it's virtual. Just as a, a thumbs up or thumbs down to finish this little bit, do you feel it's easier or harder being a leader now than say it was 10, 20 years ago? On balance, it's harder because you're not in that way where people just do what you tell them and all of that stuff. And it's Yeah, they'll push back. Yeah. That's, you know, there's more pushback, but it's a hell of a lot more fun. <laughs> That's a, a really good way of ending that round. Excellent. <laughs> Let's uh, finish up, ladies, with some closing remarks. And I don't know if I'm offending you by calling you ladies. There's so many pronouns now, and I, I don't want to call you women. But uh, this last question really speaks to your wheelhouse. We could talk generally about career tips. But I'm asking you as four very strong, authoritative women that have made their way to the top, whatever that looks like, to offer your tips to not just the women that are listening and we've got 30,000 listeners all over the planet listening to this, uh, but the men also to be more inclusive and, and appreciative of what women are going through. So yeah, is closing, what are your two or three top career tips for women who want to become leaders or get promoted or or reach the top or just be a little bit more recognized and accepted? Uh, Kelly, let's start with you on this one. My big one is you have to ask for it because men can't read your mind and more than likely there are men above you that are kind of in control of your career per se. So you have to ask for it. And if you truly think that you deserve it and you don't get it, leave and go find a place where you can get it and where you feel valued. That's a good point because there are options these days, aren't there? It's a candidate driven market. It's not that people, there are 20, 30 interviewees for every role now. We know about the great resignation and the grand recalibration. So we have choices, Kelly, don't we? Yeah. And that little sacrifice, if you have to leave your job and you don't have something lined up, that sacrifice is absolutely worth it to find where you belong. Kat, you're leaving your job. Obviously, it's not the place for you. The culture's toxic at Monaghan's. You're leaving. You're not getting full expression of your great talents. <laughs> no, obviously not. But uh, career tips for you for the, the female listeners, Kat. I think this goes beyond female. It's just people progressing in their career. But for me, the things that have had the biggest impact are really understanding me and how I work, um, what makes me tick and figuring out 
what the things that I can work on and improve and investing the time in, in doing that. Um, and I think it's also about playing to your strengths. If, you, if you're looking out and you're seeing um, roles or places that you want to get to, it's not necessarily about copying who went before you. It's thinking about this is what I'm good at. What can I bring to that role? And playing on that and demonstrating that and what and showing why that's really important to get you to that place you want to. Um, and then the third thing I would say is about, and this this leads into what I'm doing next, but it's all about really trusting yourself and taking that scary leap. Um, because I think particularly women, we can hold ourselves back with all the things that we can't do it or the reasons why we're not 100% perfect for it. But you just have to back yourself and, and take your leap because all my best career moves have all come from me getting scared and doing it anyway. Jackie, leadership tips from you, career tips, principally for women, but I'm sure they would apply to men as well. Yeah, so I like what Kat said uh, in a little bit different way. You know, put your eye on whatever you want to do and go for it. Um, I, going back to an earlier question, I don't feel like I was held back as a woman, um, but I feel like I have a strong personality and so it helped me succeed. And so you've got to ask for what you want and what you need. Um, but keep your eye on that prize and you don't necessarily need community to get there, but hopefully you'll find one as you go. And then my other tip is travel a bunch, see how the world works, because there's a lot of stereotypical or cultural assumptions that we all come from that are totally different in other areas. So for example, I'm a native Texan. And being a native Texan, you get married in your twenties and you have babies by the time you're 30. And that was just what I thought life was like. And as I travel the world and I see that's not at all the case, and I have way more control over my life and my destiny and how I want to live it. So, you know, don't pin yourself down into cultural norms, you know, get out there, get experience, see what other people are doing and widen your perspective. Yeah. You bring up a really good point. Now, I'm a father of two daughters. And uh, that certainly gave me a lot of perspective on the way women think. I still can't figure women out what men can, but <laughs> that's part of the allure of the whole thing, isn't it? But you speak there a little bit, Jackie, and I'm going to come to Maureen just to finish things off in a moment. But the power of a network, the power of advocates and champions and getting the right people around you for support where necessary. We hear a lot about mental well-being now. We hear about imposter syndrome and all of this stuff going on. And are you, have you been promoted beyond your level of capability? So getting good people around you whose opinion you trust, but who will also speak critically in the right way into what you're doing and how you're doing it and give you that, maybe even coaches and mentors, it's a key part of it. And Maureen, what are closing thoughts from you on career tips for women that want to be recognized and promoted? Well, I think this is women or men, really. But I think it's about um, that really we've talked about today is be confident to be yourself, but also recognize and develop yourself. None of us are the finished product. So I think having an open mindset is a really important piece, whether it's traveling and cultural. But I think being open to different things and actually learning from them and a continual learning. I mean, honestly, the most exciting thing is that you learn something new every day or you keep going. So, um, and I think the mentorship, correct trust, you know, whether it's um, coaching or whatever, but reaching out, don't be afraid to ask whether it's for the job or for help, or I think I can do this, what do you think? And it's quite amazing when you, and it's a bit about being vulnerable as well, because if you're open in yourself, it's amazing how people come and help, how many people are actually willing to help each other and that's a community feel and value. And if that isn't the environment you're in, I would go with 
then why not go somewhere else? If it is not, if you're not comfortable and you're not able to feel yourself and ask, um, but you have to do your own thing as well. You have to do your bit, which is you have to be willing to learn and you have to have an open mindset in today's world because things are just moving forever. And I think there's an incredible amount of opportunities, um, but really, you know, making sure you learn to get the skills you need to do them. Sure. And I'm going to ask you all a quick bonus question to finish about where you learn from, where you go to, to take your learning to the next level. And while I'm teeing that up, there's a great quote by Eric Hoffer that says, to learn, you need a certain degree of confidence. Too much confidence and you feel you won't have to learn. Too little confidence and you feel you won't be able to learn. So it's getting that balance of confidence, but then obviously reaching out to the stuff that you need to know. So Jackie, where's your go-to for learning and professional development? I would have to say the most impactful thing over my career has been hiring coaches. So I have, I tend to have three to five coaches at one time, all the time. What's the collective noun for coaches? A plethora of coaches. What is that? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, you you get what you pay for. Uh, You need people that are not scared to hold you accountable and tell you where you need to have corrections. And unfortunately, as a leader, you're not really going to get that from your team the way that you could through hiring a consultant. So I would definitely highly recommend coaching. Trouble is with five coaches, Maureen, that you've got too many voices that are often conflicting <laughs> telling you what to do. Where do you go to, Maureen, for your professional development? You know, to be honest, I the quote you've just given, I think is a great one. And I'm an avid uh, reader of lots of things, all sorts of different business advice or just even sports or team advice. I, I just like being open-minded in, in lots of different areas. I do think coaching is a really good thing because it does help you as a leader on that. I suppose I'm quite lucky in that I've got a group around me that will tell me exactly where I'm going wrong. They're not prepared. I might be the leader, but I certainly um, will be told what's right and wrong. So I think it, for me, it is just having that constant learning approach, really. And it's I love to go to lots of different seminars and um, and just sort of hear different people's views and then build those into myself. Kelly, what switches the lights on when it comes to learning for you? I'm a big book reader. And so I am always having a book that I'm reading and I alternate between a business book and a fun book, just like, you know, um, fiction. So my favorite book that I have ever read that influences the way that I run my company is Selling Happiness by the founder of Zappos. It's just a very authentic book and how he listened to his gut and not what everybody in the world told him. Um, but that's how I do it. I one book to help me develop professionally. And then one just to help me develop creatively and kind of just have, let my brain have fun and kind of go wild. That's great. It's a cliche, but readers are leaders, aren't they? And vice versa. So we get that. A cat fan thoughts from you on where you go to for your learning and development. So I'd say everything that's already been said, um, and this isn't just because we're speaking to you, Rob, but I just do listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I find that that's really useful, both ones that are on accountancy, ones that are from different um, industries as well. I listen to my husband's in the army. So I end up listening to quite a lot of military ones because they are so hot on the leadership things and picking up tips from there. Um, And then just all kinds of other ones, really broad ones about like spirituality and all different kinds of stuff, because it all kind of feeds in and goes in this big kind of melting pot of, of, yeah, what I can then bring to the table when I'm doing things. So I love a podcast. 
Yeah. Well, my 18-year-old daughter, she's just gone to study in North Carolina in the USA from here in the UK. And uh, she's met a Marine called Seth. Now, that wasn't in the script. So if any of you have any wisdom to speak into that situation <laughs> for me about how you deal with a daughter going out with a US Marine, I would love to hear your wisdom. But ladies, thank you so much for your passion today and your vulnerability in sharing your very best insights on what it takes to be a an effective, compassionate, vulnerable uh, but authoritative and influential leader in today's complex world. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly. Sponsored by Dext.